tonight. Book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and uh, he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid uh, the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Of the Lord, let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your word tonight, and uh, we thank you for uh, your Spirit who is here with us, God. We thank you we can gather in Thy house, and Father, for the good services again. We thank you this morning, your word going forth, and uh, it's just a, a sweet time of year for us, especially as believers. When uh, Father, we love you, adore you all year long, but this time of year kind of takes a, a special time for us, knowing you personally, Lord, and and considering all that you've done for us, and we just thank you and praise your name. And God, I just ask for the filling of your spirit to minister uh, the word tonight. And pray for those in the nursery filled with thy spirit as well, dear God. And, uh, and Father, uh, uh, Lord, should you, uh, should, should you tarry, uh, blessing the preparations for the services yet to come. And, and Father, uh, uh, bring, uh, bring people in. Uh, bless your people uh, meeting together and bless travels uh, as has been prayed uh, along uh, these days. And Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercies and blessings on us and, and just speak to us in some way again uh, tonight, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. <clears throat> Well, we saw as we looked, uh, began looking at the book of Jonah uh, last week, we'll be working our way through this. I don't even know if I'll get into the first chapter much tonight yet, uh, but just a little bit more uh, information around uh, the time of Jonah, things that are going on. Uh, we saw last week, by way of introduction, that Jonah is a prophet from Gath Hefer a town in Galilee, probably historians tell us maybe only five or six miles from Nazareth. And uh, remember the uh, scribes and Pharisees had, uh, had uh, ridiculed uh, those uh, uh, believing that Jesus might be the Messiah, saying, there ariseth no prophet out of Galilee. And uh, of course, Jonah, the very one that Jesus was comparing himself to, had arisen out of Galilee and uh, uh, Gath Heifer. So, uh, we saw that uh, uh, we considered that Jonah may very well have been a contemporary with Amos and Hosea in the early part of uh, their ministries. Uh, he preached a few decades before the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by Assyria in 722 B.C. Uh, we consider that the Assyrians are known in history as a cruel and wicked nation. Maybe one of those reasons why Jonah wasn't real thrilled about going there. And... Uh, uh, and perhaps there, it, it may be that even bands of the Assyrians may have attacked 
some of the villages in Israel uh, during Jonah's time, maybe under Tiglath-Pileser and uh, some of those other uh, uh, leaders of Syria. But uh, uh, just uh, uh, a great calling for Jonah and obviously some great strivings he is, uh, he is having with, with that calling. And the Lord calls him uh, to go to, uh, to Nineveh, to Nineveh, uh, that great city. And the Bible tells us in, in Jonah 3.3 3, uh, that uh, now Nineveh, he says, uh, uh, did I get the right chapter there? <clears throat> Yeah, last part of the verse in verse 3. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. So Nineveh was a, a very large city uh, for the time. Uh, Jonah, when he was preaching, uh, you read, uh, uh, let's see, where is it? In, uh, <clears throat> in verse 4, Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. So the city is, is three days journey. Uh, through it, he's entering into the city a day's journey. Now, he's probably gathering crowds. He's not just strolling through the city. He's gathering crowds, walking, stopping, preaching to people who are gathering to see this sign uh, that Jesus said he was. You know, who knows what he looked like after this whale spewed him out on the land. And, uh, and uh, so he is doing all this preaching and gathering crowds as he goes, as he goes uh, through. Uh, uh, some have considered the the size that uh, the Bible seems to give to this city and considered perhaps that, that it's not possible that it would be a city where of a three days journey going through the city because in the ancient cities like this, they would have a wall uh, built, built around them. And certainly uh, some of the walls that they would say uh, showed in the excavations wouldn't, wouldn't have been a, a three days uh, journey uh, through uh, Nineveh. So uh, we'll consider that, talk about that a little bit uh, here, uh, here tonight. It was a great city. In, in Jonah 4.11, he says, uh, uh, God said, Wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Uh, some, some have gone as far as to say as uh, the fact that they couldn't discern between their right hand and their left hand it implies a very young age. In other words, that only being a very small part of the population, uh, I personally believe is just talking about a city that doesn't know the, know the right thing to do, obviously, because they didn't know how to, how to they, 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 they needed God to send Jonah to them to turn him to, unto them. I think in this particular case, he's talking about they didn't know what they were doing, and so I sent you to tell them to repent. Uh, but, you know, again, that's one of those things where there's differences of belief saying, no, that's just the younger ones. And so multiply that. Uh, and, uh, and that's how great the city was. But it was definitely a greatly uh, uh, populated area for, for that time. Uh, as, far as, uh, as far as it not being, couldn't be that big because walls are around it. Well, we, when we consider uh, the, what historians tell us about the construction uh, boom that took place in Nineveh, you know, had to, they had some kind of a huge library and palaces and such, quite a, quite a construction, uh, quite a, uh, an enormous wall and such. But as we think about the construction there, historians tell us uh, that that construction really began during the time of Sennacherib, uh, king of Assyria. And Sennacherib would have been around seven, the construction beginning uh, in the part of Sennacherib's reign, Sennacherib's reign around 700 B.C. 
which would post-date Jonah uh, by, about five, by about five decades. Uh, so a lot of that stuff that they were seeing as far as you know, the, the, the walls and stuff uh, uh, may not have all been up uh, when Jonah was going through Nineveh. A lot of the construction uh, may not have been done uh, uh, or even started when Jonah was going through Nineveh. And so it's some, something to consider there. You know, if, if the historians are right on giving us Jonah's dates of prophecy and the dates uh, you know, of, the, of the works that the, these kings did. But uh, that time when all the construction took place was known as the Neo-Assyrian Empire and uh, under, again, King, King uh, uh, Sennacherib. And uh, remember, he appears later in, in the reign of Hezekiah. Uh, and uh, and uh, he was, uh, uh, you know, he was the one where the the the, the troops were thwarted, were thwarted from uh, taking Jerusalem. Remember, God sent an angel who slew all those soldiers, the Assyrian soldiers. So, uh, but by that time, uh, much of the southern, much of the northern kingdom, Israel had already been taken captive, you know, into into different lands by Shalmaneser uh, and, other, and other leaders of Assyria, of Assyria Tig, Tigbath-Pilneser and others, uh, taking, uh, taking them captive away. And then, of course, Samaria being conquered later. But it seems that Jonah preceded uh, much of the construction and, the, and even the, uh, the, great, the great building and such uh, in, uh, uh, in Nineveh. When Sir Austin uh, Layard, a French archaeologist, and others were excavating the area there in, in Mosul. Uh, they could see across the Tigris River a large tail or mound, uh, two and a half miles long in shape. Of, of, uh, of, uh, and uh, they began to make inquiry of the natives there, and they came to the conclusion that it must be ancient Nineveh. They began to excavate. They found that it was indeed the ancient city uh, uh, of, uh, of Nineveh. But even with that discovery, the size didn't meet the measurements necessary for what Jonah was saying. So they probed further and found there was a tremendous valley there, a valley that was filled not with just one city, but multiple cities. Three of them were prominent cities. Uh, Nineveh was located at a, junk, at, the, at a juncture of the Tigris River and the upper Zab. It was the city farthest to the north about 20 miles south of Nineveh uh, at another juncture of the upper Zab and the Tigris River was the city of Kala, C-A-L-A-H. Uh, then on the upper Zab at about 10 miles east of, uh, of Nineveh was the city of Korsabad. Uh, now, these, now there were other cities also in this area. It was low, rich land. In the south, uh, in the south uh, they would call it a bottom land. Uh, which was easily farmed, and so this was a very rich and apparently irrigated uh, area. It was a center of a tremendous population. Uh, J. Vernon McGee says, uh, frankly, I think it would correspond to the Los Angeles basin in many ways. They had natural fortifications, they and they found uh, you know, a portion of a wall uh, there in, in this portion where they dug as well. Uh, but uh, they had natural fortifications uh, that didn't make it necessary uh, actually to have a wall all the way around in the, in the, in the earlier part, uh, uh, allowing the city to grow still you know, while, they're, while they're building walls, but still to have protection without a wall you know, being completed. Uh, he said, uh, 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 J. Vernon B. said he would, would, would relate it to perhaps the Los Angeles Basin. You know, we might talk about the greater Portland area. Which would include what? You know, t uh, what? T what is it? T t what's the word? 
Tigered, yeah, and uh, all that. I'm, I got the Tigris River here, and now I can't get tigered out, so I'm getting tongue-tied here. But uh, and all the area around there, uh, you know, being uh, being included in the population. But uh, uh, but uh, they had the uh, uh, this in this in in these cities here in this uh, this basin where they had these excavations. They had the natural fortifications with the Tigris River on the west and on the south, and to the east, the Zab River, uh, plus there was, there was a wall. Uh, as a result, this entire area could be protected from an enemy and was, uh, and was protected uh, for many centuries. It was actually a flood of the Tigris River, which, which, which took out a portion of the wall that finally uh, permitted an enemy to come in and destroy the city. Nineveh was an, was an exceeding uh, great city. And so, uh, indicating that there were actually multiple cities uh, right in that area and actually close by. Uh, matter of fact, in Genesis 10:11, we read, uh, "Out of that land, uh, uh, the uh, land of Babylon and such, out of that land went forth Asher." Uh, in Genesis 10:11, Asher. Some argue that is a person. There is a person named Asher. Won't go into all, all that. Others uh, believe it is the nation of Assyria. Uh, both at times the Bible refers to each. Uh, but out of that land went forth Asher and built Nineveh. I think it's probably the nation of Assyria. Uh, out of that land went Asher and built Nineveh and the city of Rehoboth and Kala and reason between Nineveh and Kala. And then it says, the same is a great city. So here we have a, con a conglomeration of these cities some even being uh, built near by Nineveh that are great cities. Others uh, within 20 miles, what, three days journey would, would be what, 30, 35, maybe 40 miles altogether uh, going through there. And, uh, and so uh, uh, it's a possibility that strolling through that valley, going through the conglomeration of the population that had gathered there, uh, uh, the, the, the walls encircling the entire, entire area not being built. Matter of fact, even, even just Nineveh alone perhaps not being finished yet, it would have been uh, Jonah could have walked through there and preached uh, during that time. But a large population uh, there, uh, there as well. So he, uh, so he rises up in verse 3. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Went down to Joppa. He found his ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Uh, now, uh, in Jonah's day, uh, the known continents of the civilized world were Asia, Africa, and Europe. So that was uh, kind of like the known world to them at that time. And Jonah is told what? He's to go to the He's to go to the east. He's to go to Nineveh. Okay? And where does he head? To Tarshish, which was the far west of the known world to Jonah. Uh, he's going, I mean, he's not, he is going the, the opposite way, and as far as he knows, the opposite way as far as he can go uh, uh, to get away uh, from the call of God at this time. I don't have my... Uh, I, I left my uh, thumb drive at home going out the door, but it was interesting that for years, uh, many have believed, Bible, Bible students have believed, uh, that Tarshish, now as you go west from the coast of Israel, 
and go out through the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, you have uh, the northern coast of Africa on your left, and you have the southern coast of, you know, of Europe and Asia or, uh, and all that uh, on your right. You're going out the Mediterranean Sea, uh, and it narrows and comes through what? The Straits of Gibraltar, right? And, uh, well, on your right, you have the Rock of Gibraltar, and you got the southern coast of Spain there. And uh, it was always believed that Tarshish was just north of Gibraltar in the southern coast of Spain. That's where they, they kind of figured that was when, it, you know, when, when they talked about Tarshish in the Bible. Uh, uh, interesting. Uh, but now, uh, uh, interesting study on that. Uh, recently, when the Bronze Age uh, came to Israel, and the copper-rich region there was able to quickly source seven of the eight ingredients needed to produce uh, the bronze at Timna and other mines. But where tin, another one-eighth of the metal's recipe, came from, has been a lingering mystery for scholars. Uh, Tarshish, now we're, we're going to consider this, and consider about Tarshish and this tin. Tarshish traded with with Tyre in tin. There's a, there's a, there's a, um, <laughs> I can't speak tonight. Uh, we got three T's there, okay? Tarshish tra traded with Tyre and tin. Uh, uh, we think about Tarshish uh, uh, in, uh, now where's Tyre? It's just off the what? The, that, the west coast of Israel there. And is where, where they where they put the you know the, the city out into the sea there when uh, trying and Alexander had to build the causeway to get out there and get to it you know well uh, Tyre was a great trading center a great uh, uh, economic uh, city uh, much, much riches in Ezekiel twenty seven twelve we read Tarshish and and in Ezekiel twenty seven twelve what God's talking about here he's talking about the destruction of Tyre. God is going to destroy uh, that, that city of Tyre. And uh, in Ezekiel 27, 12, uh, we read, Tarshish was thy merchant by reason of the multitude of all kinds of riches with silver, iron, tin, and lead they traded in thy fairs. So uh, Tarshish was known to trade in tin. Now with that in mind, uh, we think about this. It's interesting. Uh, in September 19 of, uh, of, of uh, uh, last year, 2019, uh, they discovered some tin ingots off the, coast, off the west coast of Israel, just around where Tyre would be. And they were, they were 12th and, and believed to be 12th and, and 13th century B.C. Uh, tin ingots that they found off, off, of, the, off of the coast there. Uh, the scientists published in a paper in June on the, on the open access peer-reviewed scientific journal Plus One is what the journal is called. The authors analyzed 27 tin ingots or blocks from five sites bordering the eastern Mediterranean Sea. By using a combined approach of tin and lead isotopes together with trace elements, it is possible to narrow down the potential source of tin for the first time. They write, the most logical source, according to the authors, the most likely suppliers of the, of the 13th and 12th century BC tin ingots from Israel are tin mines from Cornwall and Devon. Uh, that is uh, Cornwall and Devon being the two southernmost counties in England. 
on the on the island of Britain. So, uh, uh, and uh, there was uh, recently a tin mine that just recently just just closed down in Cornwall not too many not too many years ago. But they believed by the comparing the tin and and the makeup of that tin that the most likely place where that tin those tin ingots right off the coast of Israel were mined were in fact not in Spain but on through the rock uh, on through the straits of Gibraltar on around the coast of Spain on up north to Britain to Britain on the very uh, peak of Britain uh, so the last uh, the, there's a little uh, peninsula that comes out of Britain so the southwesternmost peninsula on the island of Great Britain and uh, and the two counties on that peninsula are are uh, are, Corn are Cornwall and Devon counties, tin mines there, and so they believe that that is very likely the place where Tarshish was, uh, rather than all these years supposing it had been it had been in uh, in the southern uh, uh, border of Spain, uh, and uh, in uh, in Isaiah 60 is a prophetic passage about the millennium. When God will be gathering his people uh, from around the world. Remember, Israel is going to have a special part in reigning with God during the millennium. And, uh, and by the way, he's going to use the nations of the world to assist him in gathering together Israel, bringing them into the, into the millennial kingdom and, uh, and for their part in the glory of the millennial kingdom. And he'll be uh, using the nations of the world that will be taking part in bringing his people to him. And in Isaiah 69, uh, 60, Isaiah 60 and verse 9, he, he says, Surely the isles shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish first, to bring thy sons from afar. So the isles, I thought that was interesting. Uh, is, is Spain an isle? No, it's not an isle. Is Britain an isle? Yes, Britain's an isle. You know, is Ireland just, you know, just west of Britain an isle? Yes, it's an isle. And, uh, and so uh, uh, the isles shall wait for me. And, uh, and that word isles is often translated isles and islands uh, in, uh, in, in the Old Testament. But, but uh, surely the isles shall wait for me. The ships of Tarshish first to bring thy sons from afar. So uh, that's, uh, that's uh, speaking of Britain, and God will be saying that in the millennium uh, that uh, there will be folks from Britain, uh, the, obviously believers in the millennium, that are going to have a part, a first part, in helping to bring God's people over to, to the land of Israel from wherever they're being gathered from. Uh, and to uh, you know, and, and to take part in 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 the in the millennial reign there, whatever part God God has 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 for them there. And again, in Ezekiel thirty-eight, we have those armies coming down from the north, and and that's a hard study. Um, you know, you want to be too too dogmatic on, on these things because the enemies that are mentioned of Israel. Uh, in Ezekiel 38 can't really be verified in the Old Testament. Uh, either they're not mentioned as enemies or they're mentioned in the Old Testament uh, but in the context they're, they're not an enemy to Israel. Uh, so, uh, so the enemies that are coming down in, in Ezekiel 38 it seems to be a, uh, a, a confederation of enemies not necessarily addressed in the Old Testament. I mean, there are definitely enemies coming down from the north upon Israel, that's for sure. But as far as the names go, 
They can't be verified with enemies that Israel had in the Old Testament. You see what I'm talking about? So we need to be, just be careful about that. But bringing, bringing enemies coming down from afar, wherever God gathers them geographically, coming down uh, 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 from the north there. And uh, uh, as these enemies would gather uh, against Israel in the tribulation period, uh, Zika writes, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? And the idea here could be, they're questioning this, oh, you're going to go attack Israel? What, what's you up to? It could be, you know, a negative or positive thing. It could be, what's you up to? We want in on it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Or it could be, how dare you do that? You know, if it's, if it's uh, talking about the attack coming down in the north at the end of the tribulation period, it's very likely a, what you up to? We want in on it. Uh, because the Bible says all nations, what? Shall be gathered against Israel, right? And, uh, and so that, that, that could be uh, uh, what it's talking about there. But he says, uh, the, uh, the merchants of Tarshish and all the young lions thereof. That's interesting, the young lions thereof. That's a, uh, a term in the Bible you have in the Old Testament. Many times as, as, uh, as war is stirred up, uh, uh, larger nations, smaller nations, the, the, the Bible in, in, in a picture form refers them to lions. You know, one nation rises up to another. Other nations nearby get stirred up. You know, one's an older nation. It's an older lion. There's a, young, another, another, a younger lion. They get stirred up to get involved in it like that too. So it kind of talks about that. So, uh, so, uh, ha, so Tarshish with all the young lions, other nations getting stirred up. A, uh, uh, other nations not as ancient as Tarshish uh, getting stirred up uh, to, to go down into battle there. It's interesting, uh, during World War I, uh, Britain put out a war poster that said, it said this, the empire needs, 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 needs men. And they called themselves the overseas states. Of course, who would that be? They'd be kind of addressing us. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you came from us. You know, it's World War I. We need some help here. All answer the call. Helped by the young lions, the old lion defies his foes. Enlist now. That was a British uh, war, uh, war poster for, 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 for World War I. So interesting uh, uh, that, uh, and of course, there were revivals and such in England. So, so you know, they, there would be those who would know to use the biblical language of, uh, of, the, of the young lions and such. But it's just interesting uh, 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 to consider. And so we think about that, about Tarshish, uh, perhaps, being, uh, being a little farther than what previously uh, we, we, may, we may thought that they have gone. And uh, quite interesting. It's interesting to me when science catches up with the Bible. You know, because here we have this, that they've been hauling this tin, they've been using that, they've been coming from Tarshish, and, and, and all along we read what? About the isles, the isles, the isles. And I, I never really thought about it. Well, well, you know, well, Spain's not an isle. <laughs> you know, but, but Britain is, okay? And wow, well, that, that fits the Bible better. If, you know, if, if the tin came, and by the way, again, again, in, in the test that they, that they, that they did uh, uh, on the tin, they said it's most likely that tin did come from Spain. Uh, I mean, from, uh, from Britain. 
So uh, it, it seems to me that, that science is kind of, uh, has kind of caught up to the Bible. Uh, God said it, it came from the isles and, uh, and, and from afar, from, from the Gentiles. Uh, so uh, interesting, uh, interesting to study. Uh, amen. All right. Um, so Jonah, he says, I think, if, I think I'm going to pause there instead of starting into chapter one. I have a couple missionary letters I'm, I want to read, and uh, and I'll start fresh uh, uh, Sunday night, or I may have something else next Sunday night and start fresh when we come back from Christmas. We'll see how the Lord leads there, uh, and uh, I'll seek the Lord on that. We'll see where we go from there. All right. <clears throat> So it's kind of good to see what's going, what's happening and going on around Jonah, and uh, as we go go through here, uh, we'll have uh, some more empathy, you know, for for Jonah uh, going uh, going through uh, going through this time. Um, I don't often read uh, the uh, legal alert, um, and I probably should read it read uh, at least portions of it more often. But this is from October's. Any, any of you read October's Legal Alert? Um, okay. And, and any of you, you know, you can get these, most of these on, on, online and such. Uh, uh, you, I think you can get the, uh, the, the Legal Alert and, and many of our missionary letters too online. But uh, uh, <clears throat> Brother Gibb, uh, Gibbs is a, is a gracious preacher. Uh, if you ever heard him preach, he's he's a humble man, and uh, and what, one of the things that he said listening to him preach, he says he says I, I like I like teaching people. I don't I, I don't like being the hero in my stories. <laughs> That's one one of the things that he'll say. I like I like he says I like, he says I like teaching people from my failures. I have plenty <laughs> plenty of them to use. And he's a very very meek, humble man uh, in, in preaching. And uh, and that's the way that he puts out his letters. When we when they first started this this COVID thing, uh, you know, CLA put out the letter, and it was just basically just do everything, do everything you can do. I mean, if you, you every, every every person in and out of the bathroom every time, wipe it down, you know, uh, every you know, just it was just you know, everything you can possibly do, and and you're reading it was like almost. You know, most impossible. How are we even going to function? You know, uh, trying to do these things, and 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 these restrictions and things have kept up, and 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 we've been able to observe uh, the spirit of things around us, and uh, and uh, and uh, he and he wrote in this in this his in this his October letter, and this to me stuck out because. Of who it is that's putting it out, Brother Gibbs, <laughs> and uh, uh, he says he writes, "Friends, the time for mincing words is over." I thought when I read that, I thought, "Oh, okay, uh, Brother Gibbs." You know, this this is this is not this is not this is not a general start for Brother Gibbs' letter, okay? And uh, not that he is. Uh, not that he doesn't uh, get directly to things when he needs to. I'm not saying that at all. Friend, the time for, min for, the time for mincing words is over. The current culture in America has declared outright war on religious freedom. He says, and let's be clear about where this war stands. Christians are losing. Believers are not losing because of lack of strength or power. 
God has already given victory. But the truth is, many Christians are choosing to sit on the sidelines and ignore the war altogether. Christians who continue to hold on to traditional biblical values are being ostracized by a growing number of Americans, particularly, particularly as the secular liberal movement continues to grow and gains legal support and traction in courts across the country, including, unfortunately, the United States Supreme Court. Uh, pray for our court system. Amen. We are fighting each day for ministries and individuals to hold fast the liberties that America has promised. While the First Amendment remains present and accounted for, many secular Americans believe that it simply does not matter. Any faith that does not cater to every non-biblical belief system that the culture approves is being seen as discriminatory, hateful, and unwelcome. The Bible reminds us that that the culture hated Jesus Christ, uh, and the culture continues to hate anyone who stands for him. If the world hate me, what? It'll hate you also, Jesus said. Uh, it is hard to believe the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was passed not even 30 years ago with nearly unanimous bipartisan support. A united Congress acknowledged the importance of religious beliefs, even those that differ from the norm, and passed a bill protecting those beliefs. Even harder to believe, the bill was introduced by Democrat Chuck Schumer. The chances of such a law even being considered for passage in 2020 is unbelievable, particularly with the divide in our nation over the political and spiritual spheres. Unfortunately, we are seeing the ripple effects of a harsh anti-religious sentiment beyond legal decisions uh, as well. We are receiving more and more calls from conservative people and groups being censored by the large corporations that control social media and all major online speech platforms. We are seeing the term hate speech grow more and more common, specifically used against believers who say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Christian business owners contact CLA who are absolutely terrified to openly admit to their, to their religious beliefs, beliefs that just a few decades ago would have been considered mainstream. Those that dare to speak out are either sued or protested out of business. Newspapers are openly publishing articles calling for the abolishment of student groups at colleges that dare to say they hold to biblical beliefs on traditional marriage, and they are called names and openly attacked. And in the middle of all this hate and outrage that has brought America to a boiling point, something even more unthinkable and unbelievable has happened. Nearly every state government ordered that all churches close their doors while while we can hope that such decisions were meant to be made in good faith to protect from the rampaging coronavirus, the implementation of these laws were all but designed to single out church as simply, here it is, not important enough to carry on. Hardware stores? Sure. Absolutely essential. Protests? Of course. Liquor stores? Certainly. Church? Not a chance. And I thought, wow, something to me when Brother Gibb prints, prints this, okay? The current culture has made it clear. 
traditional faith is simply no longer welcome. That's, that's, that's our culture uh, right now. Uh, they, are currently, they, are, they are currently winning the war. In more than, in more than 50 years, uh, 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 our firm has been uh, protecting our religious freedoms. We could have never imagined the America we are currently living in. The growing hostility to our faith shows no signs of slowing. Christians, we need to be ready. Until recently, we have been blessed to live in a country with, with, with protections for faith, both in the public and private squares. We saw other nations struggling to achieve religious freedom while suffering persecution, but that tide is turning in our own country. Do you have the faith and strength to be a Daniel and stand up for Christ when your whole country has turned against you? I pray each and every one of us uh, does. Uh, the need is great, but we serve an even greater God. Amen. Our culture may be winning a war, uh, uh, but all their pursuits are futile when Christians follow the scriptural principles and living according to God's promises. He is faithful, and his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Perhaps this culture shock will be a wake-up call for all those believers who now sit in the grandstand. It's time to get in, in the game. Uh, only, the only thing that will change America is the gospel. Uh, be, the gospel being spread not just by pastors but given to neighbors shared with co-workers boldly proclaimed throughout our land by everyone who claims the title of Christian so what do we do in this well we have to be Christians amen we have to love and by the way now's the chance that we can really show our love why is that anybody can love people that love you back right but when we love those who are persecuting us then we're being Christ-like, right? So it's now, now is our time that we are going to have to call upon God for a strength that we don't have. And by the way, that's always the case. But sometimes God brings us to a place where we realize that more. Uh, where we, we are for sure uh, that, uh, that it's got to be God's strength to get us through. It always is. And it is God who brings us to places where we realize that. This may be one of those places. Because we'll need that strength, uh, that strength that we don't have. And uh, so uh, we, we maybe uh, you know, could uh, make a resolution to submit ourselves as a Christmas present to our nation. Amen? <laughs> and uh, I want to try to be a, a better Christian. And uh, when, when, when the world doesn't like my stand more, uh, I, I need to still stand. And by the way, we need to stand what? in the spirit of meekness speaking the truth what in love because this argument the wrath of man what worketh not the righteousness of God we don't progress we don't uh, further God's plan by jumping up and down and getting angry uh, we don't do things in the flesh we look to the spirit because we know the answer don't you know don't we you know why we believe the way we believe because we got born again amen <laughs> Because somebody told us about Jesus Christ, and then God gave us the mind of Christ. That's why you and I think the way we think and believe the way that we believe. And the only hope for our nation is what? Is that more people will believe that. Uh, that more people will see that. And, uh, and do we have a promise from God that more people will? No, we don't. No, we don't. Do we have a promise from God that he'll be with us no matter what? Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. Is it our responsibility to make them see? No, it's not. No, it's not. It's our responsibility to, to lovingly what? Share that message. 
keep putting it out because in a time like this there will there will be others perhaps who will see the change in the times and realize no, I don't want I don't know if I want to keep going down this path this is getting really divisive now, I got I got to choose a, I, I got to choose a side here that that may be what's working on some people's hearts right now we may have an opportunity uh, uh, to tell him about Jesus, amen, and let him bring him over to his side, amen. And that's what we'll hope and pray for and, uh, and, 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 and hope that God will use us uh, for in that. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your word tonight. and I thank you for your blessings and goodness. And God, I've been amazed uh, at the situations this year as we all have especially with the covid and and the restrictions of our freedoms and and such lord and and father even now uh there are people that are struggling and, and uh they are confined to homes and uh there are uh elderly in nursing homes um You can't see loved ones. And uh, it's got to be hard, Lord. And I pray for them, God. We have uh, people in the services that are away, as we have every year during this time, that would love to be home with family and friends. Father, please be with them. Give them grace. I pray that your spirit would help them in this time and give them comfort as they pray for their loved ones. We pray for the elderly and we pray for wisdom father we we want to minister uh, to people there are people who have uh, people they love in, the, in nursing homes want to see them god love them and they want to they want to see them we understand that 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 we need to be safe and practical in these things we understand that god but i just pray for that measure of grace father there there are those who are suffering more because of these COVID things, perhaps, than, than any of us in here are suffering. And there may be some in here that are, are suffering in a great way because of that. I know there's some in here that have loved ones that they can't really see because of that. God, it breaks my heart. I want to think about it and pray for them, Lord. And, and I just pray to help them and give them grace, Father. But I pray, dear Lord, that you'd help us to remember that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Uh, Lord, our enemies are not people in, in human flesh. Our enemies are the devil, are the spirit uh, that drives things that are ungodly. And Heavenly Father, we know and trust that, uh, that when the gospel is shared, people can be convicted. They can become born again. And the power of the devil can be broken over anyone, uh, dear God, uh, by your spirit. And so, Father, we pray uh, that you'd help us just to continue to be faithful witnesses. I thank you for the heart of this church, supporting missionaries. Help us to continue doing that. Uh, you've given us uh, uh, ample and plenty, Lord, to continue supporting our missionaries that we have now. Thank you, God. Thank you for the giving of your people. Please uh, bless them in that, Heavenly Father, and help our missionaries and help them getting to the field. And, Lord, give us grace and wisdom going forward that we, by your grace, might be wise as serpents, we might be harmless uh, as doves, and that we might shine as lights amidst, amidst this crooked uh, and perverse nation, Father, where the turns that our culture has taken, God. And there are people who can be saved, saved out of it. 
and, and saved from the evil of this world yet. And I pray it help us to be earnestly and prayerfully involved in doing what we can do in that. And, and Father, help us to rejoice in you this time of the season. Uh, you love us. You love us always. And help us to, to, to praise your name, to sing praises unto you, because we do always have hope in you. We do always have reason to rejoice in you. And there's always the hope that at, at any moment, Lord, another could turn to you we can get a chance to speak to another or pass out a track whatever it might be and another lord could turn to you we always have the hope for that and father help us to be uh thinking and praying along those lines as we wait for your return and to be busy as we can be father we pray we ask these things in jesus name for his glory amen